is knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 321. Jason Lindgren is with me, and we are honored to have Mr. Randy Kelton, uh, the man who filed documents on the governor of Texas. We will tell that tale uh, as we come in. Many people listening owe this man some gratitude. Uh, I suspect that what he did in Texas has now rolled all the way out to the great state of Rhode Island. But anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a very fine good morning it is. All right, let's try to max this out. It's not often we have a Randy Kelton. Welcome, Randy. Nice to be here, and thank you for having me. Hey, it's uh, it's an honor to have you. Uh, for so long, we've been covering legal episodes, and I always ask the same question. At what point will people say, I could take care of myself here and get myself okay, or I could think about my cousins, my nephews, my neighbors, my mom, my na- you know everybody, and damned if that's not exactly what you did, because I suspect that the new old freedoms that the powers that be are openly talking about, like no masks and all these other things, uh, is part of the domino effect from what you did in Texas. I hope so. I can't be sure. It feels that way. It totally feels that way. We know 20 states. When you filed on Texas, uh, what we were hearing is that 20 states followed suit pretty quickly. Yes. I've tried to make the complaint as inclusive as possible. I'm actually as ugly as possible. But I really wasn't after the governor. Yes, I filed against him, and and, uh, I am a creature of statute. You know, I, I tell people that judges only have two duties. They must determine the facts in accordance with the rules of evidence, then apply the law as it comes to them to the facts in the case. So everything in that presentment was facts and law. Looked at each order that he issued, compared that order to his duty as the governor and the duties of other members of the government. Specifically, well, in his case, he invoked both the legislature and the judiciary because he issued orders that had the effect of law. But governors can't do that. I was going to say, presidents can't do that. Our founders' greatest fear was the president. They knew we had to have one, but he was their terror because he was the one that was most likely to attempt to extend his authority beyond the executive into the legislative and judiciary. And this is exactly what our governors did. Were they calling them orders, Randy? Where I was, we heard things like mandate and guideline. What was the language where you are? Was it literally orders? Executive orders. Wow. Well, here's the deal. The governor is the head of the executive branch. Just like the president, he can issue orders, but those orders can only affect his employees, members of the executive branch. You and me and the rest of us, we're not members of the executive branch. And should be served by the executive branch, if I'm not mistaken. Precisely. They are our servants. You and I, we are the masters of those servants. And everything I do in my radio show is to demonstrate to people not only that we are the masters, but how to be the masters. So I I dropped the ball, man, and I apologize. Go ahead and tell people where they can find you in your radio show. I should have had that right up front, Randy. I'm so sorry. Okay, we do uh, this look up uh, ruleoflawradio.com. You run my name on the internet, but uh, don't pay any attention to all that nasty stuff you see in there. That's all propaganda. And that that video of me being arrested in Williamson County, uh, I think they doctored that video. And this stuff from the American Poverty Law Center designating me an enemy of the state, they they hurt my feelings. (laughs) Yeah, not not like you've hurt some feelings recently, I'm (laughs) guessing. (laughs) I I, I mean, when you is is there a danger after the fact as you begin to explain what went down uh, when you filed against the governor of Texas? Is there a danger of, uh, I don't know, jail time or fines or is he under any duress directly related to what you did? No, the grand jury no building. 
uh, I could go back after him uh, on the indiv- on individual complaints because that particular document had a large stack of criminal accusations, starting with sedition. And I had him for sedition, dead bang. The governor, like every state, is, is given authority over the state militia, just like the president's given authority over the army or the military. But we don't have a state militia. So our governor decided that he would block egress into the state of Texas from certain locations of his choosing. You could enter from those locations, but you had to imprison yourself for two weeks. And to ensure that you you could pick the the place of imprisonment, uh, like your home, but to ensure that you abided by his order, he conscripted the Department of Public Safety. Now, if you're in a state and you have a state police, all state police organizations were created primarily for the same purpose, to investigate crime, not enforce, and to enforce the commercial transportation codes. Because uh, when they introduced the transportation codes, Truman was a road builder before he became the president, and he was aghast at the way we were building roads. He complained that we were building roads that were designed for horses and carriages, and we're running 3,000-pound chunks of steel up and down them at incredible speeds and slaughtering one another on highways. So he had the Corps of Engineers design the expressway systems. And he had them put together, we had the legislature put together a model transportation code and ask the states to adopt it. Well, Texas, for instance, adopted the code. And they went to the sheriff and said, hey, guy, we got this big bundle of laws we want you to enforce. And the sheriff said, screw that. I don't have funds to enforce that. If you want me to enforce all those laws, you got to give me funding. Well, legislators didn't like that idea. So they created a state enforcement arm. They called it the Department of Public Safety. And it was their purpose to enforce these commercial transportation laws. In their charter, they were forbidden to enforce the, the public laws, the, the criminal laws. It says the Department of Public Safety shall not enforce the criminal laws except at the request of and under the direction of local law enforcement. Reason for that is when our founders put this country together, we did not want a state police. Policing functions lay in the hand of county sheriffs. They are the highest policing agencies in the state. Which are now servicing mostly, if I'm not mistaken, because the false flags kept happening under the aegis of the sheriff. And we realized in most places, sheriffs are in unincorporated counties. An example from San Diego would be sheriffs are everywhere. But if you're in the city of San Diego, that's San Diego PD. You go out to East County where there's not an incorporated city, uh, sheriffs are everywhere. So does that play into what you're talking about? Well, the sheriff still has jurisdiction within the city. The city's jurisdiction is an agreement between the sheriff's department and the city where the sheriff's department agrees not to interfere with the police's sheriffing duties. Now, if a highway patrolman who is a state officer cites someone in a municipality, it is, that's county business. That goes to a justice of the peace because he's a county officer. If a sheriff writes a citation, that goes to a justice of the peace. Only municipal complaints go to municipal courts. So there's still that separation. And it was a necessary separation so that our states would stay republics the way they were intended to be. No state police lording power over the whole state. It's broken up into separate counties and separate sheriffs. This is consistent across the state. Well, the governor decided he needed a statewide militia. So he conscripted our traffic cops and brought them into a militia over which he commanded and sent them out with guns to enforce his edict that has no power over the public. That 
by definition, 577.001, Texas government code is sedition. Is there legitimate authority over commercial vehicles engaged in commerce? Yeah, there is. Okay, so there's the separation, but they've clearly overreached to get everybody. Yeah, yeah. They just did, they're just license enforcement. Uh, just like, you know, I have a pilot's license. Uh, there's an enforcement agency, the FAA, enforces that. We have doctors, we have lawyers, we have plumbers, and we have drivers. So he usurped all that. That was sedition, by definition. He ordered the courts not to release people who were charged with a violent offense, not to release them on personal recognizance bond, even though they had a right to that release. That was a violation of separation of powers. He told the schools that you have to close. Well, the schools don't belong to the governor. They don't belong to the state. The schools are funded and belong to the counties. Another separation of powers. He, in, he enacted orders that had the effect of law, like the one telling you if you enter the state from, from another state, which is absolutely forbidden. The, the right to egress, the right to travel is often misunderstood by folks who are fighting the traffic issue. The right to travel refers to the right to travel from one state to another state. And interference in that is absolutely forbidden. Now, once you're in the state, you're either involved in commercial transportation or you're involved in locomotion. Locomotion is you moving about doing your business. That can't be interfered with either. So without getting into the traffic issue, I'm, I'm going to where the, the governor issued executive orders that exceeded the scope of his authority in the Constitution. He was given authority to issue executive orders that affected members of the executive branch. They were very careful, and this was our founders' greatest fear, that president and governors would exceed their authority and move into the realm primarily of the legislature. Now, the governor could have, and he's authorized by Constitution, called a special session of the legislature and given them issues to address and ask them to issue legislation to do whatever he wanted to do with his orders. But he elected not to do that. Well, well, what you're pointing out here is this is not just the shortcomings of a governor gone half-assed. What about the legislature? Why didn't they point out, hey, man, you know, you can't do this. Legislature had no power. Can't they point out to the governor that this is not the way it works, bud? Yeah, but they don't have any enforcement power. It was the legislature mm. that should have done that. I see. Or the police, but then the police, they fell under the governor. What about this nonsense of the state of emergency that's been declared in every state and by the president and all that kind of crap? What does that actually mean? Let's read the codes. The state of emergency authorizes governors. I can only speak specifically to Texas, but I'm almost certain they're all going to be the same. It authorized the governor to issue emergency orders, but those emergency orders were restricted to those officials that fell under his authority. He could not, if he attempted to issue an order and extend that order to the public in general, that's not authorized in the Emergency Act in Texas. And I suspect every one of them is going to have that same restriction because that gets to their greatest fear. When we authorize the governor to write law, that's a very basic breach of the separation of powers. They all knew that. So I'm confident in saying, if I look at any other state, I'm going to find that the constitution of every straight state restricts the governor from issuing orders that affect the public. Because if he did that, then it would have the force of law. And that only the legislature can do that. And the legislature has no power in any state to delegate that authority. 
Well, I'm in Louisiana, and someone should tell the governor here that. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You're in Louisiana. I said every I state. Am. Yep. Louisiana is a whole other animal. <laughs> Louisiana is the worst police state on planet Earth. <laughs> Great. Good to know. Uh, oh, by far. Russia incarcerates approximately 327 people per 100,000. The United States as a whole incarcerates 657 per 100,000. Texas, 750. Louisiana, higher than any nation on planet Earth, 1,126 per 100,000. Worst police state. Well, actually, Texas is the worst. I'm, I'm sorry. United States is the worst police state the world has ever seen. And we don't even realize it. And it's because of nonsense like this. And they've corporatized the whole, you know, they've privatized the whole incarceration system too, haven't they? That, that part is a problem, but that's not the main problem. I didn't really go after the governor. I didn't care about him. What I was going after was due process. More specifically, I was after examining trials. In 1215 AD, 1216 AD, uh, the King Henry found out that the French were plotting an invasion against a secret invasion. They were going to attack them against Great Britain. And he went to the uh, dukes who were kind of PO'd at him because uh, King John, his predecessor, had pretty well bankrupt the country in the Crusades. And uh, I'm sorry, King Richard. John was trying to recover some of their funds and they were heavily taxing the Dukes and Dukes were not happy. And he asked them to help throw off this invasion. And the Dukes said, heck, we don't care. French treat us, treat us better than you do. So they got the king to agree to sign the Magna Carta that took a lot of power away from the king. Got him to agree to do that if they would help throw off this invasion. Well, they did. And then John refused to sign it. Well, they drug him down to Runnymede on the River Thames, threatened to cut his head off if he didn't sign it. The original Magna Carta had a requirement that if a sheriff arrests a person for any reason, he is to take him directly to the nearest magistrate and explain himself. That's not done. They stopped doing that in the States in the mid-70s. And magically, our incarceration rate started to go through the roof. My primary purpose is to fix that. So I want to ask you about a thing that I think I heard way back when you put your document into the grand jury, aimed at the things you're explaining. They, they did a thing called a no bill. What exactly does that mean? What happened with those papers? They refused to indict the governor. So doesn't that kind of tell us that the grand jury is also out of order? No, no, I think the grand jury was right. I never really wanted to governor indicted, what I was trying to do is get the governor's attention. It is very difficult to get a grand jury to indict a public official. Mm. That's a steep hill to climb. Well, you did get his attention. We know. That's, you know, the purpose of, of when I file complaints with the grand jury, I never want public officials indicted. I just want to get their attention. I think of my public officials the way I do my grandkids. I love them dearly. But if one of them steps out in the road, I'm fixing to tan his hide. That's me as a grandfather when I deal with my public officials. I deal with my public official as the master of the servant. When you walk into a courthouse, you are the baddest motor scooter in the building. And there's only one reason you're the baddest motor scooter in the building. And that's because you're not a, a judge, a, a prosecutor, a bailiff a clerk, you're none of those things. They're all perfect public servants. You, you're the master of those servants. They forget that at their professional and liberty peril. What I primarily do is try to demonstrate to people what your position is as a citizen of a republic. This is not a democracy. It is a democratic republic. The difference between a democracy and a republic is in a democracy, all rights flow from the people. This is something the Democrats are pushing real heavy right now. 
they're trying to eliminate a lot of constitutional rights because people want to. Well, that's not the way it works in a republic. All power flows from the individual. And the laws that are in place in Texas under the Bill of Rights, I think it's Article 29, says all the rights enumerated in this Constitution shall be held inviolate in perpetuity. That means the only way you screw with those is to throw out the Constitution altogether. And I use that one on the governor. He can't violate those. He can't pass any rules, any laws. The legislature can't pass any rules or any laws to take away any of the rights that we have in our Constitution. In our Constitution, there is a common fallacy about our Constitution. Uh, People tend to think that you have certain rights under the Constitution. That is not true. The Constitution grants you no rights. It's an important concept to understand. You don't need any rights. You are the citizen in a republic. You have the right to do anything you want to do. Unless you, along with your other citizens, have agreed through your legislature to restrict your rights in certain defined areas like murder. We've all agreed that we will restrict our right to murder our fellow citizens and theft. And there's a lot of things where we have restricted our rights. That is the only restriction you have. Now, public officials will say, well, you can't do this. You can't do that. And I always ask them, well, where'd you come up with that? You see, public officials think in terms of public officials. A public official may only do what the law specifically authorizes him to do. You, you you want to, unless it says you can't. And I encourage public officials to violate that premise all the time. I have this rule. Never ask a public official to do anything you actually want him to do. Because you never ask a public official to do anything that the law does not compel him to do. And when he doesn't do it, boom, you get to land on him. Arlington, Texas, municipal court. I tell the clerk, I want to see the files of cause numbers. I give her 10 different cause, 10 cause numbers in a row. I want to see all of those. She said, uh, are you the, uh, an attorney? Oh, no, no, no. I sleep well at night and keep my hands in my own pockets. Thank you very much. Well, are you the accused? Oh, no, 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 I'm a good guy. I never violate any laws. She said, well, if you're not the lawyer or the accused, you can't see those. Oh, my. You shouldn't have said that to me. Now, a lot of people, when that happens, they'll say, oh, well, I got this right. I got that right. I have another rule. Never give legal advice. And that goes along with, Never give fair warning. Because if you follow the first rule and never ask a public official to do anything you actually want them to do, then you've asked them to do something that the law commands them to do. So when they don't do it, you get to pull out my favorite statute, and every state has one. It's called official misconduct in most states. In Texas, it's called official oppression. And I like that one because the word is more juicy. All of these statutes follow from 18 U.S. Code 242, the Ku Klux Klan Act. A lot of people have heard of uh, 42 U.S. Code 1983. 42 U.S. Code 1983, that's the statute that allows a private citizen to sue a public official if he acts outside the scope of his authority. Well, that's the second half of the Ku Klux Klan Act. The first half is 18 U.S. Code 242, and it says, and I'm paraphrasing here because it's a little long and complex. If a public official exerts or purports to exert an authority he does not expressly have or fails to perform a duty he is required to perform and in the process denies a citizen in the full and free access to or enjoyment right, 
Well, that's a crime in every state. It's generally a class A misdemeanor. So had a big bailiff standing back there across the room with his arm folded, looking around like everybody out there is a criminal and I may have to beat up any one of them. I pointed at him and hollered out, hey, you, come here. Well, he didn't like that. He came over and asked, what can I do for you? Arrest that woman. Well, why would I arrest her? Class A misdemeanor, official repression, criminal violation, 3903 penal code, and that she failed to perform a duty she acquired to perform, and in the process denied me full and free access to her enjoyment right. Well, what did she do? She wouldn't show me any records. He said, are you an attorney? No, no, no. Uh, are you the accused? No, no, no. He said, well, in that case, you can't see those. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. I took out my cell phone and did my favorite thing to do. Let me guess, 911. 911. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you can't use that phone in here. <laughs> and I looked up and said, are you going to interfere with a 911 call? That's a felony in the state of Texas. And the clerk said, oh, leave him alone. He's just trying to get something, get you to do something so he can try to get you arrested. Sorry, hon, too late for that. <laughs> He's already stepped in it. I get, on, I get the dispatcher, and she, they always want to give you a hard time. Well, what happened? Are you an attorney? No, I'm the dispatcher. Well, if you're not, if you're not an attorney, uh, if I need legal advice, I'll hire an attorney. Until then, uh, I call the dispatch, and I need you to dispatch. <laughs> when the officer gets here, I'll give him a full explanation. So I go sit down and wait. It gets real tense. <laughs> and then this officer shows up. And when the officer shows up, that's when you get to see this little kicking dance. That's what I call it. And you'll recognize it. Uh, the officers come here. Are you the one that called 911? Yes, I am. What can I do for you? Arrest those two. Well, why would I arrest them? Class A misdemeanor, official oppression, criminal violation, 3903 penal code. Never ask a public official to do anything you actually want them to do. Because you never ask them to do anything that the law does not compel him to do. So I quote him the law. This is the law that says you must do this thing. So you can't whine about ignorance. In uh, Johnson County about a month ago, the bailiff, when I told that to her, when I'm trying to get her to arrest the district judge, said, oh, don't throw all that law at me. I only deal with the, the elements. And I leaned over at her and I said, I just gave you the elements. So anyway, what you'll see is this cop doesn't want to arrest his buddies or anybody that, that's another public official. So he'll, he'll start shifting from one foot to the other. See, here's his problem. You are the victim. He has been dispatched through 911, which they must record to address your problem as the victim. Now he has a problem. <laughs> he doesn't want to arrest his buddy because that'll give him a problem with all his other buddies, but he's got someone standing on his legal neck. So they do this little dance around, dance around, and when they object and say that they can't, then I tell them, oh, okay, okay. You didn't actually personally see or hear the offense being committed because that's the only time an officer can arrest without a warrant. So it'll be enough if you will take my criminal complaint against these two. And I always run around with blank criminal complaints that while I'm waiting for the 911 guy to show up, I fill out the criminal complaints. And you give them to him and ask him to verify now he's really on the dime. They start shifting from one foot to the other. Uh, oh, uh, well, uh, Mr. Kelton, uh, if you are pulled over by a policeman and he is prominently displaying a deadly weapon <clears throat> and he says two words that you can construe as a threat, dial 911. Tell him you got a guy out here with a gun and he is agitated. Agitated is their magic word. If you say to them, oh, I got these rights, I got those rights, you can't do this, you can't do that, they're going to label you as agitated. And once they do that, they kind of feel like they can do anything they want to. So what you do is 
turn it around on them. You label them as agitated. I called uh, Bowie, Texas. I need you to get an officer out here. I got a policeman out here. He appears to be so terrified. I'm afraid he's going to piss his breeches. But I'm concerned he's going to pull that pistol on his hip and shoot me first. Get somebody out here to get him under control. But he stood there looking at me. He's got his hand on his pistol. The third time I told him to get his hand off that pistol, I called 911. He's looking at me like, I don't believe you just said that to my dispatcher. <laughs> well, that's recorded. Never get arrested again. First time an officer fails to treat you with dignity and respect, call 911. Randy, where does it go from there? So we've had two or three examples where you've used 911. In your notes, it explicitly says that 911 is your friend, which is how I was able to guess that you're basically using that as a recording mechanism. Oh, absolutely. Now we got my call on record. They can't erase. Uh, I was at Johnson County. A judge issued an order that violated her own order. She told this woman, if you go to this house, uh, I'll hold you in contempt court and, and, and prison you for 24 hours. Well, she went to that house. It was her house uh, 19 times. And they called her into court and she assessed a period of confinement for of 14 days for each offense and then ran them all consecutively. So she put her in jail for 14 days. Well, she said 24 hours and then assessed 14 days. That's official oppression. So I went to a district judge while he's having motion hearings. This was fortuitous because it's the same judge I once bushwhacked in front of his own grand jury several years ago. <clears throat> I went to the bailiff and handed him this bound document that on the front said some magistrate. And what the log says is that if a policeman has reason to believe that a crime has been committed, he shall give notice to some magistrate. So he said, what's this? <clears throat> I said, that's for the judge. Show it to him. So he goes in, the judge is in chambers. He goes back, comes out and said, the judge is not going to accept this because it doesn't have a, a file stamp on it. I said, yes, he will. The law commands him to. Well, he's not going to do, going to, you're going to have to find some other way to do this. Oh, I got one. I took out my cell phone and he started to say, you can't use that in here. And I held it where he could see it and dial 911. Oops. <laughs> he shot back in the, the judge's chambers, but my cell phone was breaking up. So I went out to the uh, bailiffs <clears throat> and there's here at the metal detector and they're yakking back and forth. And I said, hi guys, how are things going? So oh, it's going pretty good. I said, well, it's about to go downhill. And then they got tense. Well, what's the problem? I need you to call 911, get a sheriff's deputy out here to arrest the district judge. Well, it got real quiet in there. And then this female bailiff kind of gathered herself and said, if this is not an emergency, I'm not dialing 911. Okay, that'll work. Dial the non-emergency number and get me a sheriff's deputy out here. So instead, they called their sergeant. <laughs> and I wound up crawling down her throat. And then she, she gathered herself up and handled herself very well. I did everything I could to push her over the edge, but she wasn't going for it. And she went and got me a voluntary statement and then asked me if I would please give this, take this to the sheriff's department as, the, as they're more geared to handle this. I said, so you're trying to scoot off the dime. She said, yes. So I took them and I turned to these other bailiffs who were standing there watching me and I'd stepped on her pretty good. I said, she handled me really well. And I like to be handled well. You could learn from her. So now I'm sending a criminal complaint <clears throat> against Judge Bosworth, the one I bushwhacked with these complaints, accusing him of failing to perform his duty as a magistrate and hold an examining trial on the criminal accusations I gave him. Now, whoever I give this to is going to do the same thing. The reason I know that is when I filed a criminal complaint against the governor with the grand jury, I also filed a criminal complaint with the chief justice of the Texas Supreme Court. 
You see, you're the master, they're the servants. Makes no difference to me what level of government someone's in. They're all my servants. And I told the chief justice that since I'm filing a criminal complaint against the highest level officer of the judicial branch of government, it's appropriate that I file it with the highest level magistrate in the state of Texas. Article 2.09, Texas Code of Criminal Procedure says, who are magistrates? First one, justices of the Supreme Court. And he was the chief justice. Well, you probably won't believe this, but he did not hold an examining trial. So I went to the presiding judge of the Court of Criminal Appeals. Well, I didn't go there. I sent her, Sharon Keller, a criminal complaint against Judge Hatch, the chief justice and claimed that Judge Hatch denied the governor due process by failing to hold an examining trial wherein the governor would have had an opportunity to enter exculpatory evidence. Now he has to stand before a grand jury with only my 150-page criminal complaint. And Ms. Keller, you should understand the problem there because in 2008, you stood before a grand jury on my criminal complaints against you. And you weren't able to enter exculpatory evidence. They spent three months. Grand jury got my complaints against them their first day in office. They dismissed them their last day in office. So dismissed, that means they they walked away from it. Yeah, yeah, they always do. But the Court of Criminal Appeals, all nine justices, judges, spent three months wondering if their career is going to end tomorrow. And there was absolutely nothing they could do. But that taught me a valuable lesson. You will never win your case simply because you have the law and the facts on your side. To think so is naive. It is not that way now. Never has been that way so long as we have had human beings as judges. You can expect to win your case if you have the politics on your side. and all politics is local. Now, when you first hear that, it sounds horrible. And it is a problem if you don't understand that is the case. Once you understand that that's the case, you very quickly find out who the most politically powerful person in the building is. And it's you I was, I filed a habeas corpus for a kid in Conroe. Uh, The Republic of Texas came to me and asked if I could get him out of jail. He's been doing the stuff they were telling him to do. And he's lost his apartment. He's lost his truck, his carpentry tools. He's lost everything. So they came to me and asked me if I could get him out. So I made up a habeas corpus, took it to Conroe, filed it. They stopped a murder trial. The judge sent the jury. They finished interviewing a witness, sent the jury out. And said, are you Randall Kelton? Yes, Your Honor, I am. Are you the one that filed this habeas? Yes, matter of fact, I am. He said, are you an attorney? Oh, no, Judge. I sleep well at night and keep my hands in my own pockets. Thank you very much. He said, well, since you're not an attorney, I'm not going to accept this habeas. I turned to the bailiff. Mr. Bailiff, did you hear that? Yes, Mr. Kelton, I did. Arrest that judge. If you have never asked the bailiff to arrest the judge in his own courtroom, it just haven't lived. So I, I got to ask here. So we've heard, I think, at least three judges now. Has there been outcomes? Oh, because it sounds like you keep describing it out and it gets dismissed or something else happens. But what are some of the outcomes in all this effort you've put in up front? I'll demonstrate. That's why I went to this one. Okay. The judge refused to accept the habeas, so I took the habeas to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. And the clerk said, well, I need a motion for leave to file. Say what? This is the habeas, the great writ, the writ of right. This court has no power to grant or deny leave. Now, for 20 years that I know of, the Court of Criminal Appeals has been demanding a motion for leave to file a habeas corpus. And they, if you're a pro se, they dismiss it out of hand. But I'm trying to get this kid out of jail. It wasn't my fight. I had different issues I was taking on. So I made up a motion for leave to file. They immediately denied it. 
I said, are you kidding me? So I made up a criminal complaint against all nine of the justices, filed it with the district attorney. It took a year to get it in the hands of the grand jury. I had to bushwhack the head criminal district judge in Travis County with the complaints. It was just a, a circus. But I finally got him in front of the grand jury. And they got him the first day in office. And then April 1st, which was appropriate. And then in the middle of May, I went to the prosecutor who headed up the grand jury. Her name was Claire Dawson Brown. And I said, Claire, what's the problem with the grand jury? I, I had told her, look, Claire, the code says under 2.03 that if, a public, if the prosecuting attorney hasn't made known to him that a public official has violated a law relating to his office, he shall reduce complaint information submitted to the grand jury. No discretion. So if you give these to the grand jury, you don't have to agree with it. You could ride in on your white horse and, and talk to the grand jury out of indicting, and you get to save the day and be a hero. Well, they gave them to the grand jury finally. And after a month and a half, I asked her, what the heck is going on? And she said, well, I made sure that the grand jury read your entire presentment. It was 117 pages. Is it common for a grand jury to come together without having read the damn complaint? No, no, they read it. She, she made, uh, generally what they get is one page or half a page. A summary. Yeah, this was 117 pages. And she said she made sure they read the whole thing. And I thought, what the heck is going on? She is not trying to get them to know Bill. It took a while. Ron Earl, 25-year district attorney. He's the guy that took out the Speaker of the House of the, the United States House of Representatives, Tom DeLay. And nobody ever accused Tom DeLay of a crime. It's absolutely illegal. He took him out anyway. 25-year district attorney. He's retiring. He's a Democrat. All nine of these judges are Republicans. <laughs> Was that by design or by chance? Chance. It had nothing to do with my complaints. That dirty, rotten scoundrel was trying to take those nine judges out using my complaint as cannon fodder. Guys, the courts will never be afraid of you. What they'll be afraid of is the political cannon fodder you can create for their political enemies. Once you step back from the rule of law, and you know, my, my show is Rule of Law Radio. I am a creature of statute. But once you step back from the, the statutes themselves and look at the politics, everything changes. So we're, we're coming up on the uh, end of the first hour. So what is the outcome here? You've got nine justices on the hook. You've got a grand jury. You've got, I guess, a Democratic prosecutor who's filing against Republicans, if I figured out correctly. Yes. Okay. So what, what is the outcome? Okay. They did not get true bill. But if you go to the, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals and file a habeas corpus, they're not going to ask you for a motion to, for leave to file. They cut that crap out. So you change the way that they proceed when that is done now. Exactly. So now okay. a private citizen can file a habeas and the court has to hear the habeas. They got reminded of how it works, sounds like. That's the best we can do. Yep. This, we are the, the masters of our servants. If we got rid of all of our public servants and replaced them with new ones, we'd be in the same place. All right, Randy, my popcorn's getting low here. What happened with the, with the grand jury and the nine justices or judges, magistrates? Well, they no-build them. The judges are still in place, but they changed their behavior. We got their attention. It's the only way I've ever found to get public officials' attention. Not getting them indicted, but ha having them face the prospect of losing their career and possibly going to jail. Then they change their behavior. This is what I do. This is my whole purpose. You and I, ordinary people, we can change everything. And I'll give you the tools to do it with. Does this make them look like their reputations are damaged in front of other politicians? Oh, absolutely. To get criminal complaints filed 
just getting criminal complaints filed against them stings them big time. When we come back on after the break, I'll talk about how to use the politics. Well, I got a stack of stinking, rotten, low-down, dirty tricks that lawyers say this is just patently unfair. Yeah, yeah, life is tough, Bubba. Deal with it. I got to ask, is there a trickle-down effect as well? So you're, you know, you're going, by the time you're up to a grand jury and you're dealing with judges or justices or magistrates and you've changed their behavior by simply reminding them what the statutes say, if I'm following you properly, um, does that trickle down to, to the municipalities, to the county? Because, you know, you're walking in initially and even the clerks and other people are not conducting themselves in an acceptable manner. Go to any courthouse in the state of Texas. Mention my name and watch what happens. What if someone who has never been heard of in somewhere in, in any municipality in the state of Texas walked in with a habeas corpus, do you solidly accept that it will be handled as it should? No, I'm only one guy. If I walk in with a habeas because I already hammered them, they get really, really careful. That's why I'm doing this show. I need other people to use these same, same tools. I do the radio show and I've got people around the country doing what I'm demonstrating. Nobody goes to jail doing what I demonstrate because it's dead on point, black letter law. And we have, are making dramatic changes. If we can get two or three people in every county, we can change everything. The American Revolution was fought by 3% of the population. That's it. There it is. Now, now I hear music in my ears. Now, now you're getting down to it. So what you've done is, to I'm going to try to sum up as best I can. You're playing an elaborate game of chess. And quite often, the complaints or whatever you would properly call them that you're filing, you know they're going to be dismissed. So what you're trying to do is get the attention of people in different ways and change their behavior which is regularly succeeding. And the reason I asked my last question is, what if Joe, no one ever heard of this guy, comes in with a habeas corpus, will he be treated, mistreated? And you're saying, yes, he probably will, but that's built into your elaborate chess game, which includes politics and many other things, because now what you're saying is what I've been saying is the most important thing that I can imagine. Just a few people in each municipality and in, in each area would permanently change the behavior of these people, regardless of whether a grand jury ever filed anything on anyone. Have I followed you correctly? You are exactly dead on. I'm, I'm, a, I'm all in, man. I hear violin music in my ears. If we get rid of these guys, we get somebody else. He does the same thing. But if you go to Johnson County, Texas, and you file a complaint against a public official, these guys get on that right now because I personally presented the district attorney of Johnson County to the grand jury for not taking a complaint against a public official and giving it to the grand jury. So I've got to ask, have you ever seen a magistrate arrested or a, even a clerk or anything like that? Has that ever happened? No. And I've never wanted that to happen. Well, I'm gathering that by the way, you know, you're, you're, you're almost there. There's words for this in chess. I can't think of where you put up a false front that looks like you're coming with a full frontal attack when actually you're setting up for other things to go down. Exactly. That's what I did to the governor. Did not care about the governor. He fed me the chief justice. Him I care about. So when you actually did the filing uh, in this, that we opened with, with, if I've heard this correctly, a democratic prosecutor leaving office to a Republican governor, um, that was all by chance that it went down in the way it did, right? The political aspects of the chess game. Yes, that particular situation. But I chose the situation because that political environment existed. We have more all the opportunities we can ever want. What happens with those things that you say no bill or when they're basically being dismissed, which is how I would think about it? Do those become precedent? Are no. they public record or they evaporate into the ether? Okay. We used to be able to file over and over, but they passed new law that says you can only file once unless you get new information. So if I'm really after somebody, I will file 
a part of what I have against him. And when they know Bill, then I'll file again with something else and then again with something else. The first time they're going to think, well, he's a good guy. Second time, third time, fourth time, you start saying, wait a minute, that's a lot of smoke. But it's, it's never my intention to get them indicted. From the time you filed your papers and had gotten all the way up to the grand jury when you were starting to get people's attention, what period of time elapsed before they rescinded masks, uh, their, their illegal orders about masks and things like that? How quickly did that follow? The same week that the grand jury got my criminal complaints against the governor, he rescinded all of his executive orders. Do you know the date? Do you know approximately when that was? No, I'm contacting the prosecutor now to find out the precise date because I want to get a copy of the presentation the prosecutor gave to the grand jury. So what we know is correct is roughly 20 states followed suit very quickly thereafter. And if I'm guessing a timeline based on what I've heard through third-hand sources, um, people like Alphonse and others, is I'm guessing almost a month elapsed. um, And I am guessing. I'm trying to logically put together from a very fragmented timeline I've been handed before the state of Rhode Island and all the places around me uh, changed what went out on television, changed what went out on the Tonight Show with Dave Grohl and whoever that Fallon dude from nowhere uh, is. Uh, this, This is all audiences back in studio, no masks. Oh, we can kiss now. We can French kiss on the air now. Um, this as far as I can put together, came within about a month of the Texas rescind. These are the kind of results we get with what I do. It's freaking mind-blowing, dude. It is mind-boggling that that one man has pulled this. Well, I can't say that he rescinded all of those because of my criminal complaint, but I like to think he did. Does it feel like he did? Yes. I mean, you're not a fly on the wall, but it sure feels like my gut's telling me it did. If he had rescinded one or two or three, he had like 24. If he had rescinded some and not the others, then, you know, maybe. Coincidental. But he rescinded all of them. I got to ask one more thing before we start to wrap up. So the fact that you filed and it went up and they did their no-bill dismissal, Does that mean that that issue is off the table or does that fall under the new information thing? Yeah, I can I can come back and say, okay, he ordered that doctors, that that health facilities only treat people with life threatening injuries. And this guy I found here, uh, his wife had diabetes and she had a diabetic incident, but she didn't think it was life threatening. So because of the, the executive order, she didn't go seek treatment and she died. I see. That's depraved, depraved heart murder. So it's, it's all a grand strategy based on understanding statute, basically. But it, it's still disconcerting. I mean, what you did is amazing, and I agree with you. Um, can we clone you? I'm not, I don't believe in cloning, but, but in this instance, I'd like to clone about 50 of you. <laughs> Someone in Massachusetts has converted my complaint to Massachusetts law. I heard that. Someone in Verm- Vermont is working on it right now. So everybody, you know, I have one skill I've honed beyond all others. I am an accomplished plagiarist. <laughs> I don't write most of this stuff. I find where other lawyers have done it and stick it in there. That, that's not plagiarism, though, I would point out. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The point is, if you are writing your entire document, you haven't done enough homework. Other guys have already done this for you. And if once it's filed, it's public. You're absolutely open. And, and for me to be plagiarized, for someone to take my stuff, I can't think of a greater honor. Well, there's there's also a precedent attached to that because the effectiveness will also be attached to the existing text. Yeah, I'm hoping we can get one in every state. I am too. And by the way, if it was you, as I wrap up here, hour one of episode 321, I would like to man-to-man thank you that if my gut is telling me true and after the 20 states followed suit, the state of Rhode Island, because I was getting tired of contending with people and I was basically doing it full-time at this point because I I wasn't wearing a mask, not doing it. And I worked out many different ways that I could go at this because I don't want to fight with people all day. But the truth is it's, it's a unique situation every time it comes up and so many 
let's call them citizens, are so diluted that they become self-enforcers of, uh, you know, it's insanity gone to the nth degree. Uh, but that's not my problem anymore. I, I don't go out, you know, it's like I'm playing chess just to go into the freaking cheese shop. You know, how am I going to handle this? I know what's about to happen, but I'm still doing it. So all I can say is if that was directly related to what you did, thank you a thousand times because I've been fighting with people for a year, not really fighting, but contending because I don't fight with people. Well, we're just getting warmed up. Indeed. Anyhow, Jason, I'm going to bring it home for hour one. Anything you want to get in? Well, I don't think we'll have time to discuss it, but I would like to know, do you think that this was a domino effect with the other states? Because we saw things happen very quickly after Texas, and I can't even believe that the jackass in Louisiana actually started rescinding mask laws because he he loves his masks, I'll tell you. All right, Randy, put a thumbtack in that. Let's come back and address that very thing. Okay, Jason, we'll open with that. Yes. Okay, guys, that's going to be it. Join us at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. The new website's coming together. Uh, There are minor things here and there, but there's going to be a code freeze as I go into some big interviews in early June. It's going to be a much different world over there within the next month or so. Anyhow, I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing.